If you have a Bible this morning, I hope you'll open it to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Generally speaking, we have a passage with two sections. One section, verses 5 through 11 of Colossians 3, has negative commands. Do not do these things. The other section, verses 12 through 17, has positive commands. Instead, do this. And so first, I want to ask us a question. If both of these sections represented a town or a community, which one would you rather be a part of? Think about what the first community would be like. A place free of sexual boundaries, full of heated passions, wandering desires, lots of people gazing at what everyone else has and wanting it. There's lots of anger, opportunities to give full vent to anger, lots of cutting other people down, backbiting and dirty language. There's lying. This is just a snapshot of this community, of course. Then there's a second community. It's a place where people have compassionate hearts, kindness. They put up with each other, forgiving each other's faults. You could just say they love each other, and they're full of gratitude. They're often listening to teaching together about how they should behave toward each other. And they're even humble enough to listen to teaching from one another and to keep each other in check by warning one another. And then they also sing together, which is not lots of communities do that together, do they? Now, the differences between these hypothetical communities, they're, they're clear enough. They can even sound a little like caricatures. They? It just sounds, the second community especially, just sounds too perfect in a way. People might even ask, why can't we have an in-between place? Can't we have a community with just a little sexual immorality? Just enough for some interesting television just a little bit of lying, but mostly the forgiveness and love. Can't we bring together the best of both worlds? Part of the point of this section is that all of us live on a trajectory, always moving toward something, toward one version of the community or the other. Paul is saying that the world has been and is still trapped in the first form of community. As exciting as it may be to uh, the idea of living free of boundaries for a while, as good as it can feel to let loose on your anger, to cut someone down a little bit, a place characterized by all these things that the first community is characterized, it, it inevitably tears itself apart. The people tear themselves apart. The relationships break down. It rots from the inside and no one survives. How do you find your way out of that version of the world? How do you find your way into the second kind of community? Now, even though the meekness and the other qualities here might sound like a little too much vulnerability for some tastes, deep down, this is the kind of community that we all want. A place 
where we are always shown grace for our struggles. A place where we are always loved, held, cared for. The passage this morning, the, the, in its entirety, is about discernment. How do I know how to act and behave with others? With you. It's telling us what to do and what not to do so that we can work toward this community. Verse 17 is the summary of the passage. It's the acid test for every decision that a Christian makes. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you ask yourself this question? Whatever you're doing in your life, can you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and in thanks to God? Ask yourself this. It's a, it's a wonderful question to ask. It is an, a great summarizing question for all matters of discernment in our lives. However, if you've ever read just the spark notes to a book and then taken a test, not that any of you ever have, you know that the summary is rarely enough to understand the full picture. Even though verse 17 is an excellent summary, uh, truth has become so flexible in our culture that there are just tons of versions of Jesus himself. And it seems that we can justify about anything in Jesus' name sometimes. There's at least the all grace, no judgment Jesus. Or the judgment, no grace Jesus. There are others. And this is why we need the rest of the passage. This passage helps us, us with discernment, with making decisions that bring honor to Christ as our Lord. And so I, I want to draw out three questions that it presents to help us when we're making decisions. Three questions. The first question is this one. Does it, whatever that decision may be, you fill in the blank, does it fit with who I am in Christ? Does it fit with who I am in Christ? So Paul starts off the section, this is verse 5, by saying, put to death what is earthly in you. And then as he keeps going, he comes back again and again to this language of put off what's old and put on what's new. So verses 9 and 10 are a good example of this. So will you look at those verses if you have your Bible open? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is something fundamental to being a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it's important that you would understand this about Christians so that we can understand each other. Christians believe that they are a new creation of God. You've been remade and reborn. We were all born into the moral and spiritual weakness of our forefathers, our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. But through baptism and faith in Jesus, Christians are filled with the Spirit, His Spirit, divine power. We are re-energized to live within the grain of the world, the way humans are made to live in it, and in obedience to God. 
This is the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. What this means is that there are now ways of acting and speaking that are not congruent with who you are as God's new creation. You know, we speak about people being dead to us sometimes, hopefully joking, maybe not always. For a Christian who's been reborn in the image of God, there are behaviors that should now be dead to us. They're no longer congruent with who we are as people of God, having been reborn and being remade in his image. You belong to the king at this point. So casual sex, unbridled anger, slanderous or obscene speech, these just don't fit with who you are. Through the spirit of Jesus, you can stop acting like this. Now, in personal experience, I, I find that lots of people, non-Christians, Christians alike, feel defeated by their sinful behaviors. They feel like the sinful behaviors are just more powerful than they are, and it's as if it can't be helped. The outbursts of anger, the sexual urges. I especially find this, and this is no offense to anyone intended, but I especially find it with people who are older. I, I, I think it has something to do with the fact that as you get older, you've struggled with the same things much of your life, and you've just, you're just weary of it. And while there's some reality to the lifelong struggle, what we hear Paul tell Christians here is that you can do it. The sin doesn't have to be stronger than you. You should take your sin seriously. You should continually put it to death because it does not fit who you are anymore. It might be that with a long-term struggle, God will call some of you to more extreme measures of putting sin to death. For instance, becoming vulnerable with someone else that you don't want to know about this struggle you've had. I have friends who, after battling a struggle on their own for a while, they finally sought help through AA. Another friend who, and we don't like to talk about this, sought help through SA, Sexaholics Anonymous. And the willingness to become vulnerable in this way, to join a group of people who struggle with similar things, finally opened up a door to where they could start to experience healing. This is a first question for discernment. Does my behavior fit with who I am in Christ? Here's a second question. Does it fit with Scripture? The first, does it fit with who I am in Christ? The second, connected, but a little bit different. Does it fit with Scripture? We're told in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom. And the word of Christ here is, of course, Christ's words, what we know Christ to have said in his incarnation. But it's more broad than that. It's words about Christ, the, the word that points to Christ. We are called to teach one another and warn each other by pointing each other to Christ. But there's even more specific application. 
when it comes to discerning whether our behavior fits with Scripture. So in verse 5, back to the beginning of the section, Paul lists some of the behaviors that we need to put to death. So here's the first part of the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, all of these behaviors are various forms of sexual sin that are laid out in the Old Testament law. So sexual immorality, for instance, is actually a catch-all term for any sexual behavior outside of a marriage between a man and a wife. A lot of these prohibited acts are actually laid out in Leviticus chapter 18. I didn't ask Leah to read the whole chapter, but if she had, it would have described these in detail. Paul, here in Colossians, reapplies the, these laws as still. These acts are still inappropriate for people who are being remade into God's image. So in the next list that Paul gives, he speaks to relation, relational issues, anger, wrath, malice. And then he wraps this up with another command from the Old Testament. Do not lie to each other. Do you remember this from the Ten Commandments? Do not bear false witness. Now, a lot of us have heard the common popular way of dividing up the Bible between the Old Testament and New Testament, with the Old Testament being about law, the New Testament being about grace. But when you read this passage and the layers to it, that simply falls apart. That way of dividing things up just simply doesn't work. Christ's death for sin did abolish aspects of the law, what you could call the ceremonial law that was around all these ideas of cleanness and uncleanness. It also abolished the sacrificial law, which required ongoing sacrifices for our sins. But what Christ did not abolish are God's commandments for moral faithfulness. Now, there's nuance to this. Christ did give us the ongoing mercy that we need when we fail in regard to God's commandments. That, I'm not saying that he didn't do that. He fulfilled the law and its requirement of moral righteousness better than we can. But God did not say that you no longer have to follow that law. Instead, Christ gave us the mercy we need. And he also gives us the strength of his spirit so that we can draw closer to God's way. So that we can begin to follow his commands in a way that we could not before. Now the two areas that Paul draws on scripture to speak to here it are sex and speech. Sex and speech. And the reason he chooses these two areas, the reason the Bible often addresses these issues, you know Christians are often accused of, talking only about sex or something like that. You need to know that one of the reasons for this is because the Bible often talks about that. And the reason these issues come up so often is because they're the two areas of our lives that are the most difficult to control. And God knows us that well. God knows that most people through most of history have struggled with these two areas, sexual immorality and uncontrolled speech. This is timeless. And both of these areas, in their own way, will destroy you if you don't deal with them. 
So Christians are called to take these areas with equal seriousness. Some of us need to attend to sexual sin. Whether it's sex outside of marriage, pornography, or uh, mental fantasies that have just run amok. Some of us need to attend to our speech, our anger, our slander of others, our obscene talk or lying. It, it could be both of these things. But here's something we need to remember as we try to carry out this work of dealing with sin, especially sin that's related to sex and speech. Some of us have made ourselves feel better about these issues because they're so normal within our culture. When we go outside of church, who's calling people to be more faithful sexually and kinder in their speech? Well, there are actually lots of people calling people to do that, but... <laughs> God's people have always been called to live out of joint with the world. It's not simply just to be different for the sake of being different, but it's to be faithful to God. So this is what God is saying in Leviticus 18. Don't do as they did in Egypt when you were there, and don't do as they're going to do in Canaan when you get there. In other words, it's going to be tough wherever you go. You're going to feel the heat wherever you go. There is no place where you're going to feel at completely at home in your morality. Even in the best of times, God's people have always had to walk a careful and nuanced line of compassion and kindness with moral firmness. So this is the second question of discernment. Does my life, my behavior fit with Scripture? Does it point toward Christ in all his fullness, all the word about Christ? And here's the last question of discernment. Does my behavior fit with the community? So first, does it fit with who I am in Christ? Second, does it fit with Scripture? Third, does it fit with the community? So Paul, and none of the Bible for that matter, makes no room, make, makes any room for isolated Christians. People who go at it alone, off-the-grid Christianity, so to speak. Who, who make decisions only in light of themselves or maybe a few immediate family members. All Christian behavior is worked out within a group. And that does not mean just a blood family. It means a community to which individuals and families are called to live out their devotion to Jesus. And to represent his new kingdom way within the world. This is why all the yous throughout uh, this chapter, this section of Colossians 3, 5 through 17, all the yous are plural. They're all of us. We do it together. It is within a community that we discern and discover our true humanity. In the process of learning compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, we find who we're made to be in Christ. Now, we do have to be careful here because there is an extreme side to it. Some of us, especially the naturally quieter types, could take it to mean that, we're to, that we need to disappear as individuals in becoming part of the community. We could take meekness to mean that we're to rid ourselves of all our own thoughts and opinions. 
But it doesn't help a community when any of us take meekness to mean that we have to disappear and withdraw our own thoughts and feelings. That's not the point here. So what does it mean? How do we deal with each other when we have differences? How do we discern together when we disagree? Well, it does mean that we will not use our differences to thwart the community. It means we won't force our differences on the community. We won't co-opt the community for our own purposes. None of us, myself included, have the right to do that. We won't force our differences on a community because this would go against the love that is to bind everything together in harmony. So instead, there are times when we will submit ourselves to the community in spite of differences. Where we'll come alongside the community within our disagreement and we'll still love and care for each other. When we're committed when we're committed to a body of Christ, this becomes a question for us in our decisions. Does it fit with my community? Now, verse 13, and I think this is an, a very significant part of the passage. It tells us that if one has a complaint against another, you should forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, here's something I think is very important to note. The word for forgiveness is actually the word for grace. In other words, it could read, be gracious to each other as the Lord has been gracious to you. Now, what's the difference in reading it this way? Well, someone doesn't have to sin against me for me to be angry at them. It doesn't even take that much. Someone could just do something that I don't like. It's not my preferred way. There might not be something specific that I need to forgive someone for. But what we're asked to do is not merely to forgive each other for wrongdoing. We're actually to be gracious to each other in all our complaints. How much bigger is this in a marriage? When we just have different ways of going about things. It's not about sin or, 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 not, or anything else. It's just... We're just different. And what we're called to do within that is to be gracious. And within a body of Christ, where there are even more differences. <coughs> and it's not always about forgiving each other necessarily, but it is about being gracious to each other within those differences. This is a much more broad and possibly even more difficult issue than just forgiveness. So three questions of discernment. As we're walking through life. Does it fit with who I am in Christ? Is it congruent with who God has made me, made me as I've been reborn into his image and I'm being formed into his likeness? Does it fit with scripture? And does it fit with the community that I've called, I'm called to be a part of? These questions help us to answer the ultimate summary question that I named at the beginning. Can I do this in the name of Jesus? Now, if the answer to the other questions is no. In other words, 
If the answer to does it fit with who I am in Christ is no, then you cannot do it in the name of Christ. And if the answer to the question, does it fit with the community, is no, then it's going to be very hard for you to do it in the name of Jesus. So where are you in this now? Are you living according to who you are in Christ? Are you submitting to the word of Christ in Scripture? And are you living for the good of the community? Finding your life within this home of love that God is building. You know, I, I love Church of the Lamb because despite our faults, God's love is here. His word dwells richly here. And I pray that we continue to grow closer into this second type of community by teaching and admonishing one another and singing songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.